Welcome, everybody, to the Knicks Wall Podcast. I am your host, Anthony Corbo. You can follow me on Twitter at CorboAnthony. I've got beside me in different states, uh, Kyle Maggio, at Kyle Maggio on Twitter. What's up, bud? What's going on, Ant and everybody? And then all the way out in or near Phoenix, Arizona, I've got Brian Gibberman at Brian Gibberman on Twitter. I like how we're in different states every single podcast, but you decided to point it out on this one. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's uh, it's good to call attention to it. I, uh, of course, I'm in forever 50 degree Chicago, Illinois. Um, it's been... we're Oh, by the way, everyone, we are uh, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Go subscribe to us on uh, Apple Podcasts. Go subscribe to us on YouTube on any podcast platform, go read all those articles on the nextwall.com Just spend a day, go through them all. Um, you know, keep playing around with the off season app. And that, that that's kind of good where I want to get into where Ryan Gray made some updates to that thing. And shit is it bleak now. <laughs> like it is, it is not a fun game to play anymore. It's just, it just simply is no longer fun, but I implore you to all play it just as like a preparation method. Um, it's been a really interesting week since we've last podcasted. There's been just a lot of things that have just, just a lot of shit that's hit the fan, a lot of, uh, unexpected free agency bullshits coming into play. Trades are happening. Um, and, and I, I just, I, I don't even know. The summer is going to determine a lot of things about my Knicks fandom, but just, I mean, how how bewildered are you guys? Like, where do we even want to start? Are we starting with the Anthony Davis thing? Are we, are we starting with Durant tearing his Achilles? Are we starting with... Uh, shit, what else am I missing? Are we starting the draft? Like, fucking hell. Well, it's stressful being a Knicks fan. Well, right I, think, I think we hit the Achilles last week anyway, because I remember... Did we hit the yeah, Achilles? Yeah, because I, I got yelled at for saying that uh, I would still sign Durant with the torn Achilles and everyone... I got I got surprisingly some angry Instagram messages, which that was strange because normally you guys angrily get after us on Twitter and the YouTube comments. So uh, points to you guys are being creative, um, but I stand by it. So, yeah, we did cover that. Um, yeah, let's start with the good the, the news. Art, let's start the, with the draft. The artwork for the podcast was Kevin Durant tearing his Achilles. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't remember if that happened like um, – I couldn't remember if that was like Tuesday or Thursday. And don't you make the artwork for the podcast? He does. Yeah, I fucking do, man. But I do a lot of other shit too, and it's it's stressful. Like I just said, it's stressful being a Knicks fan right now, man. I'm all over the place. Time doesn't really exist right now, and it's still like 50 degrees in my city, so time really doesn't fucking exist right now. Um, let's talk good news first. The NBA draft is tomorrow. Um. How are you guys feeling? I, do we all are we all still on Team RJ? Are we all 
gonna take a shot of maple syrup i think is one thing i've seen people saying so i'm gonna go it's with a goddamn that. maple mom but put some respect on his name <laughs> um what's new anything new on where you guys stand with the draft right now no i just just take rj please i just one time take the player that i would like for them to take that's it that's all i want it's the exact same stance this is yeah. This is easy for me. I don't really have a strong preference. There's like five different guys I would take, so they could. My, you know what? My top preference would be trading back, gaining extra assets, and still getting one of like five guys that I think are somewhat similar. And I would go from there. But if they take, if they just sit at three and take RJ, I'm perfectly happy. If they take it Culver, I'm happy. If they take Garland, I'm happy. Morant, he's not going to, but I would have been happy. Uh, Brand, a little high, but Brandon Clark, like there's, um, I think it's, I'm going to end up with one of the players that I'm just gonna be like, all right, cool. And everything will be nice. Yeah. So I, I really, I really like Garland. I really like Culver. I really like a couple of guys that were in, like John ja Morant, obviously if he were to fall to three, if Memphis doesn't grab him, which I think, uh, them shipping out Mike Conley to the Utah Jazz today makes it about as inevitable of a pick as you could possibly imagine. Um, I would take any of those guys. But for me, I just don't like, aside from Ja, who's not going to be there for them, I don't like anybody as much as I like RJ. Um, if they pick Culver, like I would probably be a little bit annoyed, but I like Culver as a player, so as a prospect, so I'd be fine with it. Same thing with Garland, I'd be a little bit annoyed, but... I like Garland a bunch, but um, but yeah, I'd... I just feel good about RJ. Like I just there's just there's just something like I just feel like I, I think his game is going to translate well. I think that he is somebody who's going to put in a good amount of work. Like you know, I I think all the hype has gotten to my head, but I just I just kind of feel good about this pick. I just you know, yeah, I just he's just a guy who I feel best about actually reaching his ceiling and. You know, there may be safer bets or whatever, but um, See, I don't. I don't, I just feel I don't even think the there are any safer bets for who's available for um, in that area. I just think him and Culver are pretty similar in terms of like they're both going to do stuff well in the NBA. Yeah, like the, the way I look at it is, you need to have multiple skills that are transferable, and. Um, to me, like not just transferable, but look like they project even better in the NBA. Like RJ scoring, I'm a big proponent of that Duke spacing and offense was just miserable. So I think that affected his efficiency, right? But he still found a way to create shots and found ways to score and get to the rim, get to the line. So I think that's going to get better in the NBA. I think him having such a nose for rebounding at his position I think that's going to transfer to the NBA. Like that's an effort thing, and he's a he's a big boy. He's built. He's strong. He's six seven, um, and then his passing for his size. Like those are all things in the modern NBA for a guard that you need to do to stay on the floor and be successful. So even if his defense isn't up to snuff, I think that there's enough across the board for with what he does. That even if he doesn't hit that star potential, like you know, like I believe that he has, I think he's still going to be at worst like a good starter. You know, and that's even how I feel about Culver, who I think lacks a little bit um, in terms of some of the offensive components. Not a whole lot. I think people kind of sleep on him being a scorer and an offensive talent. But it, again, that's not what anybody wants to hear right now. But um, he makes it up, you know, makes up for it with defense. Like so, again, with Culver, I think he's going to be at worst like a good NBA 
starter. So I think a lot of these guys are pretty safe. It's just, you know, I, I don't know why like RJ especially gets that like boomer bust label. I think a guy like Garland would be more boomer bust, you know? Garland is far away the riskiest player that they could go, but he right. also has the highest upside, I think, because if he is an elite, if he is truly an elite shooter and can be one of those guys that can pull up from 35 feet, and the passing gets a tiny bit better. He's the one guy who I kind of see like a skill set that could end up being in like, it's such a small percentage chance of happening, but like, he's the one guy who has a skill set that could end up being the best player in the draft. If everything goes a hundred percent, a thousand percent, right. Like just like how Steph Curry was kind of better than Blake Griffin. Yeah. I mean, people are going to yell at you. No, People no, but I don't think that that's like a point zero 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 one percent chance of happening. You're not wrong when a guy can shoot like that. Like people forget, like what you're saying is exactly right. Like the odds of it happening aren't there. Like for Steph was kind of like that. Like everything had to go exactly Steph's way. And even remember for a while it wasn't. Like he was good, but his ankles were messed up. Like it looked like he might be injury prone and it wasn't going to work out. And then uh, until it wasn't, and then all of a sudden he was healthy. He was shooting the lights out, and then the rest is history. So um, does this happen for Garland? I, I don't know. But, yeah, when you can shoot like that, that there's always a chance that things are going to pan out for you. Here's the reason I like the idea behind trading back is the Pelicans and Cavs both supposedly want R.J. Barrett, and they both have stuff that I want. If I could get the Cavs – first round pick year, lightly protected, I would jump all over that. That is a great, great, great asset. The Pelicans, they have all sorts of stuff you could take. If you get, you have the Lakers picks, you have unrealistically Drew Holiday, that I don't think that would ever happen. I think they're going to keep Drew because of how good Zion is. and That team can be a level of good right away. Uh, but all the Ingram, Ball, heart there's you can get some combination of pieces or even maybe certain of those you'd only need one of them and let them jump and still get one of the other guys that that's a huge win to me i i don't want to trade back i don't like if it's the Cavs and it's what do they have five five or six they're at at five if if it's if it's the Cavs and they're gonna take and and again i want to always stipulate that 99.9% 99.9% of the time, I would prefer to just keep three. I, I really believe in RJ. I think they're in a good spot. Um, I think he's a pretty safe bet. I don't think there's a need to get cute and get more picks for the sake of getting picks. But if you can go five and you're going to get Garland and, and like you just explained with, with the Hall, like I would be grudgingly accepted because of the upside of Garland. Because I like Garland. I like the upside. I the Knicks have not had a good. What, what would the rest of that trade be from the Cavs? The Cavs for basically making the Hawks Mavs trade, just taking that and copying it. I think it was like a top Got three it. protected first round pick in twenty twenty. Yeah, so you would get you would have their pick top three protected, and then I think unprotected Got the it. year after. That's a right. with where the Cavs are going to be. You're there's a pretty high probability of getting another lottery pick out of it. It would be like, it makes sense from an asset management perspective. And I understand that much. And I think you could still get a pretty good uh, prospect. And like, for me, I would take Garland there if you could. 
you know, I don't know that the – I have no idea what the Pelicans are going to do at this point, so it's kind of hard to speculate who's even going to be there. But if you can – like for me in my head, Garland's a guy who's likely going to be there given what we've heard and read so far. Like if you can get Garland, I'd be okay with it if they did it. Like I wouldn't personally do it, but if that's what they end up doing, it's kind of hard to be like, okay, well, getting more picks and also still a pretty good high-level guard potentially is bad. You know, I talk myself. I, I just don't want to trade back. I'm sorry. To me, like, I think sometimes we get a little cute with it's it. got to blow us. Yeah, and like, and Garland carries a lot of risk. I think he only played five games this it past season. Five. Like, and, and I think two pods ago, I, I kind of gushed about it. was two or three. I, I gushed. I do like him. I think there's a lot of good skills, and people aren't going to want to hear it because of the RJ love, and I get it because I'm the, you know, the conductor on that train, but he's a very good player. I just, there's a lot of risk. I don't know if we need to get cute. And trade back. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think they're going to be able to trade back and get a Culver. So basically, we're going to talk about trading back to get a Garland or somebody who... It would be, it would be Culver or Garland. You could you could possibly get Culver. One of the, It's only know. one... If, if it's if it's the Pelicans pick, you can 100% get Culver. You're, you're, so he'd be there. And if it's pick after that, it's Cavs. It's just one... If the team... Say the Pelicans trade... We trade for five, then the Pelicans trade with someone for four who wants to come up and get Garland. Then Culver's sitting there for the Knicks at five. It, so it's pretty, there's a probability. I mean, it, I'd say it's about 50-50 on either play. If it's Culver, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate it. I just, I don't know. I, uh, I've really, I, I'm all in on RJ at this point. It would be really, it'd be tough to swallow. If, it, if it's Culver or Garland, I could, I can be okay with it, but. Yeah, I, I would definitely want picks in multiple drafts. I don't think I would want two picks. In no, I, that's that's my thing is like it'd have to be yeah. like like I think Brian said it. Uh, I don't know in Slack or something else, but if it's if it's like for the 2020 draft, I'd be cool with it because I think that this team's probably going to get another lottery pick next year. So if we can get multiple lottery picks next year, then cool. I, I'm not very fond on this draft. That doesn't mean anything. I'm no draft draft expert, but I'm not very fond that a lot of these guys passed like four or five. So I'm it would have to be future picks like Ant said. I don't want multiple ones in this one. Yeah. I mean I, where I stand right now, I'm still pretty much all team um RJ. Do you guys think there's any other like opportunity for them to acquire other picks in this draft? I haven't really heard any any noise on them trying to go for like another first later on or yeah, other than probably trying to move Frank Nielakina, but do you do you see any other way that they make their way into the you know the twenties or you know maybe maybe even the early second round? I think Frank's the only way, right? It, it, that's the only thing that's you been know, You don't think they would try to move on from any other any other guy on the team to you know try to get the other pick? I, I don't think so. They really seem to like Dotson. They like the Knox isn't gonna go anywhere. Mitch isn't going anywhere. Um Trier isn't going to go anywhere. They just picked up his option. I don't. I don't see how they. There's like nobody else on this roster now. You know what I mean? It's it, Frank's like the only guy who's truly expendable and also has been reported. And it's a grain of salt. It's, it's Berman, but it's been reported for months now that they've been looking to get uh, a late first or a second rounder for him. So I think that's the only way, unless they send uh, future draft compensation in some degree to get something for, you know, to try to move back into this draft for someone they really like. But um, like, if, at least for me, I don't know 
if you guys agree with this, but if there's like a Kevin Porter that maybe is available, that's kind of fallen a little bit. Like I wouldn't mind them doing something like that, but I don't know if they're going to get that high. I think he's more of like a mid to late lotto type talent. Yeah, that's that's kind yeah. of what I was going to so say. So I, I don't I don't know. I feel like Frank's the only one. He's he'd have to go. I'm not even going to pretend like I know the guys later in the draft that I could tell you a good person for them to pick. That's fair. No, I, I only know. Listen, I admit it on the pod all the time. There's usually the five or six that I watch for Knicks reasons. And then outside of that, generally, I let more informed people like the Mike Cortez, the Harley Geffners, the Eli Cohens, the Joe Nardones, uh, Jess Reinhardt. I let, I let our really educated staff that you've been hearing on the, the draft season pod give me my opinions, and then I can go back and actually watch what they tell me to watch so I can be fake smart about it. But um, Kevin Porter Jr., I watch a little bit. I like I like him. I think that that's worth it if you can find a way to get back into that late lotto kind of area. I just don't know. I, I just don't know if we have anything. Like Frank's the only thing, and I don't think they, they're going to be able to move him. And if they do, it's for like a weird second rounder. And at that point, it's not really worth it. So unless we – really love somebody and we attract, you know, the attach future draft compensation. I can't see us uh, getting to a, a meaningful spot in the first round. Taking the Hawks trade, if they offered you eight, 10 and 17 is basically the way you could acquire picks in the areas you're talking about. Correct. And I, I just, and, but that would cost three and I, right. that's not, that's not something I'd want to do. I just, it's sinking, even getting three, like at that point in the same draft, it just seems like overkill. Like, I'm not envious of the Hawks spot is basically what I mean. Yeah. To me, I, I think I think sometimes we just don't need to overthink things. I don't think it's a – Let's just shoot. Let's just do yeah. it. Let's just fucking – yeah, let's just do And I'm not trying to say, like, it's stupid to trade back. I just think in this particular instance, I don't find it as appealing as uh, others might. And as always, this is the draft, and it's an inexact science. And yeah. my take can age like milk in – less than a year if a couple of those picks that the Hawks end up taking pan out. But I just don't, I don't see it. I don't, I don't see the case for it this particular time. I think you, you know kind of what you can get at three. I think that's better than anything you, you can get in the rest of the draft. Just don't overthink this. Take Maple Mamba. Let's call it a day. So on that note, why don't we uh, why don't we take a look past the draft for a little bit? Um, I, I mean, I guess we can get into the Anthony Davis thing first. Like, let, let, let's catch up on where we are with that. So AD, we're officially out of the running for Anthony Davis. It puts a lot of closure on what the Knicks situation is going to be looking like as we head into free agency. Uh, things are a little bit murky. It seems like things that were once seemed to be definite, things that we rated as highly as like 85. Eight, you know, we're, as some of us were over here. I think, did you guys ever drop 100% for us getting uh, Kyrie and KD? We were throwing out some pretty high numbers there for a little bit. You no, guys were. Uh, I was higher on just KD. I don't think it was ever KD and Kyrie, okay. but I could be wrong okay. about that. Okay, but regardless of the, you know, things are shaping up in a way that we didn't quite expect and it, it all started up with kevin durant is finally a los angeles laker uh, kevin durant anthony davis jesus fucking christ um anthony davis is a laker they gave up a lot to get him uh 
Brian, what are your initial impressions on that trade package that they got back the Ingram and ball and, uh, kind of Josh Hart and all those picks. It's, uh, just, yeah. What are you saying with it? Going into the idea of the Lakers acquiring Anthony Davis, I couldn't have ever imagined a scenario where I would have criticized the Lakers for what they did and what they then that like that package was so batshit crazy insane that I think they fucked up. And I understand the point that yes, we overvalue picks and da 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 da. That there is some truth to that. But you gave up control of your picks for a half of a decade. Like that's a lot. Secondly, it's not it's not just giving up the picks and drafting the players that matters. We've, we've talked about this before. It's that those picks were tools that could have been used to go and improve a team that doesn't really have a ton of avenues to improve that team now out of free agency. Like, what are they going to trade? And they might even have to add more into it. Like a couple of the pieces that they have left, everyone besides, they literally might have traded an entire team besides an entire team and an entire half decade of draft picks for one player. And that's not an exaggeration. And good picks too. It possibly. Like say. Ingram and Ball were both oh. number two overall. I do hear what you're saying, but I do think part of the reason the draft pick compensation is so steep is because those players weren't valued as much. Like if it was just the players and it was two draft picks, I'd have been like, oh, fuck yeah, that's a great trade for the Lakers. I agree. But you gave up. It's they, they, they negotiated against them themselves. In a sense, you, you, they were the mark. They were a desperate team and they had no choice because they weren't willing to go about this in any other way. It was, we have to have Anthony Davis. We couldn't do anything else. Like they could have said, fuck it. No, we're not going to get Anthony Davis, but I'm going to trade something for Mike Conley, get a good player in there for significantly less, and then use the other pieces to trade for something else and build out a deeper roster that still had stars on it. It just wasn't the Anthony Davis star. And so when you aren't able to consider any other avenues, you put yourself in a situation that you can't get out of. And they couldn't get out of it, and they ended up fucked because of it. So you are correct. There is risk to it. That is a lot of picks. That is a long time. However, the odds of those picks turning into an Anthony Davis-type talent are not really very good at all, and it's pretty much a lock at this point that he's going to sign for the five years past this. So you're basically going to get six years of Anthony Davis at minimum. And I, for one, would argue that that is well worth it. Everyone can now yell at me, uh, make mellow trade comparisons, do what you got to do. But um, LeBron, everyone wants to joke around about like LeBron being like the Kobe Dwight situation. This is very different. Anthony Davis is a much better basketball player than Dwight. Even at that time, he was starting to struggle with some things and injuries. It's a different situation. LeBron is a wildly outlier, high-level player at this age in his life. Like, this is just, you, you do this trade. You do it. Even if you're bidding on yourself and you give up too much, you do the trade. That's just Kyle, how this works. Kyle, we just watched the Golden State Warriors with four better players, with four, with four stars, fall apart and lose in the NBA Finals because that team didn't have enough depth. 
Shit. Listen, no, no, no. Don't even make that. I'm sorry. Don't even make that point. They did. They, they, that's a, exactly. ruptured, a ruptured Achilles and a torn ACL. Steph, how, like, that happens. How many titles did they win before that full strength? Okay. Like, but they, that, all, that, they also that, lost. That but, but wait, hold on. And secondly, the person who is now in charge of constructing these team, this team, and there's already been is Rob Palenka. The guy who couldn't even be bothered to know the salary cap ramifications of the trade he was going to make. For sure and, an idiot. And and with that, there's already reports they want to bring back Rajon Rondo. These play you can't just win with a two pe- two person team. You have to surround them correctly. You're gonna be going up against uber talented teams in this league. Correct. If you, but if, we've you, also- if you don't if you don't build around them right, they're gonna get smacked. Eh, sometimes, and then sometimes talent wins out. That's just how the league works. Like, but, no, but, this is ta- but you can't just have two players of talent. The talent has to run throughout the roster. Generally, you would need three, and I don't – listen, if they you can get a more, third – You need more. They, look at the Warriors. I, 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 don't, I simply do not agree. We're using – this is recency bias. The last three years when they've been top-heavy, they've been an unstoppable machine. That's just how that works. They In were, the Miami they, era, they, they were fantastic when they had LeBron, Wade, and Bosch, and they started Joel fucking Anthony and Mario Chalmers alongside them. Oh, yeah. my, my, Mario Chalmers was good, too. They also had guys like Shane Battier, Mike Miller, Ray Allen. The Warriors had depth. They had Iguodala was younger, better. Sean Livingston was better. Like, Sean Livingston cratered on offense, and that's part of the reason the Warriors fell apart. Brian, Brian, you talent have have, this is a superstar that. league. If you can get multiple superstars, you're in contention. Those signings you're talking about are the extra push between a Western Conference Finals and the Finals. I would give you that much, but this is a – it's going to be a very good team, like, no matter which way you yeah, cut it. The Lakers, the Lakers are also the most extreme example we've seen of this right now, where they are really pretty stripped bare. Yeah, like they, this, this happens every year. Every time there's a superstar team assembled, we do this. Well, oh, there's only one basketball. Oh, they have no depth. Oh, and then what happens is they plow through the rest of the season. They have a very good record. It's a cakewalk to the second round at worst before they start to face a little bit of adversity. This happens every year for the past I don't even know how long. But you have to, with what they gave up, this isn't getting being good isn't acceptable that they have to win at least one championship with these two players on the team or else that that's a failure oh yeah the stakes are very high you don't make this move unless you think you so, can contend my point is they're going to be in contention there there are not, no guarantees i don't think i don't think they will win a championship with these two players on the team i don't think this that, wins that's fine do you do you think do you think they have zero chance of getting to uh I'm the championship agenda. I'm not, I'm not going to say zero. I think this team could have been built in a better way than doing. Of course they could have. Of course so, they could have. My point is, it's a superstar league. You acquire the superstars oh, and you figure out the rest of it. I am 99% of the time, there was almost no. That's my point. There's almost no scenarios that I would have been like, oh, the Lakers fucked up. Like what the Jazz did for Mike Conley was great trade. Unbelievable. Can't argue against. I don't think there's Palenka, any argument against making that trade. Palenka is an idiot. We we know this, but at the same time, he's failing upwards. He, this is the most failing forwards guy I've ever seen. He makes Bible references about KCP on the day that they sign him. Like he's of course an insane moron. The point is, he still found a way to get LeBron. And, or even if or LeBron probably just decided to go there, that's neither here nor there. LeBron ended up as a Laker under his watch, and he found a way to get Anthony Davis. He gave up a fuck ton. It was a lot. 
But it takes a lot to get guys, and he paid more. Kyle, one year ago at the same time, what would have you to- what would have you said if someone told you a Lakers team with LeBron James on it was going to miss the playoffs? Well, depends because he didn't play no, the whole season. He missed no, twenty some odd games. But okay, what would have you said if someone at this time last year said a team with LeBron James on it was not going to make the playoffs? Okay, well, again, I would normally no, no, assume- stop, no, stop, no, no qualifiers. What would what would have your answer been? I- I would have said you were crazy because I assume full health for that whole team, no, that, as I, anyone does. Ingram missed significant time. Ball missed uh, significant time. No, no, that has nothing. Time. That has that has nothing to do with it. Oh, the, but that was no. But, but, but yes, things play out. Things that you expect, and it looks like it's great. But LeBron is thirty-four. He's and how old is Lonzo Ball? Who missed it? Lonzo Ball misses plenty of time. Brandon Ingram is 21, and he just had severe it's blood clots. I mean, what are we doing here? Anybody can miss time. Have, but they're going to have a team. If one of their players misses time, they're going to have no way of doing anything about it. Like, what happens if LeBron misses 25 games again? We it's my Wagner it. season, baby. And with Ant- we already saw a team that Anthony Davis had, and there was more talent on those Pelicans teams surrounding him than will be on the Lakers teams surrounding him and LeBron. Yes, it, it's obviously a risk, just like it's a risk to pay Chris Paul $40 million in his age 34 season, and then he has the worst season since 2012-2013. There's always risks to yeah, these that, big deals. That risk, I've that only risk. named this episode, it's Mo Wagner season, baby. You're welcome for giving you quotable content. Uh, if quickly, I can pivot because some breaking news happened mid-pod. Um, if you don't mind, Brian, unless you have a final point. No, go ahead. What the hell happened? So uh, there's an inside debate with the Nets and Kyrie Irving. Brooklyn might have doubts about signing Kyrie Irving if he isn't bringing Kevin Durant with him. And I don't know if you guys can tell by my tone, but I love this song. It is a song that I enjoy listening to. It is my favorite song. Um, And if you go into this, this is from The Post. This is by Brian Lewis of The Post. Um, It says their dream offseason is pairing Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, which – who wouldn't want to do that, uh, including you insane Knicks fans who've talked yourselves out of wanting Kyrie Irving, even with Kevin Durant. Uh, Stop it. Get some help. Um, So apparently the issue is there's an internal debate between just keeping D'Angelo Russell, which that's a... Probably a smart move. Probably a smart move. I, I would still take Kyrie, but... There isn't. It is not a bad move to keep D'Angelo Russell, and um, the post has confirmed Brooklyn might have qualms about signing the enigmatic Irving if he isn't bringing the injured Durant with him. Interesting, because for the last couple of weeks, it seemed like it was a lock, didn't it? I'm a little excited. Yeah, it feels good. It's a little validating. I definitely am in a better spirit than I was when I uh, when we opened this pod. So here, here's the question off of this. I actually think the Nets are right that they shouldn't sign Kyrie if KD isn't coming with him. I wouldn't want Kyrie as my number one anymore. He has to bring – I would want like a Jimmy Butler level player at worst with him. Do you, I wonder if he would consider the Knicks? If can Katie say Katie says he's coming to the Knicks, could he strong arm Kyrie into coming with him? I I think so. I thought the Nets thing was kind of funny. 
to be honest with it you. feels like they're a little bit more of a package deal they like i don't know because it, it, it felt like it all kind of like all the Kyrie and, and katie stuff like being together on a team kind of fell apart around when the you know when the playoffs were intensifying and katie got injured and everything yeah. Golden State to the final like like it just seemed like that was the time when it started getting talked about that Kyrie was going to be going off onto his, uh, you know, another one of his own teams or whatever. Um, and now that you know that has all cooled off, now that it's a you know free agency is right around the corner. You know, now we start hearing more about them actually teaming up again. So there's one thing that I think got overlooked. I think it was two weeks ago when the when the Nets stuff started picking up really heavy, and there was a, in one of those reports where it said that. Kyrie wanted the Nets. There was a line in it, and I forgot who it's by. So if you guys remember, just tip me off because I'm not going to look it up now. But um, it said basically Kyrie had been in New York after or with Kevin Durant after he was in New York with his uh, after he got the Achilles surgery, and they had continued conversations about trying to play together. And I found that very curious. And then it said that Kyrie was leaning with the Nets, and that uh, Durant was still heavily leaning to the Knicks. So if we are to believe that this KD to the Knicks thing is a lock, which, as you know, I've been – I refuse to believe it 110% as much as my insides want to. I just – I don't let myself. Um, Here, Kyle, Kyle, real quick. Uh, Steve Bullpit, he's uh, from the Boston Herald, is who that report came from. Thank you. So, I mean, it was still in there that they were trying to play together. I'm not saying that this Nets thing is suddenly blown to smithereens either. Like he, it was very strong smoke. If it was even smoke, like there was a very strong connection that he was going to go to the Nets, right? He could obviously go to the Nets very easily could happen, but this is very curious timing. Now, as we start to get even closer towards free agency, I mean, we're going to really start hearing the news in about 10 days, the 30th around 6 PM, I believe is when, uh, things can really get cracking this year. So we're really kind of getting into gear here with some of the actual rumors coming out. And I don't know, man, like, as you know, I don't believe the Kyrie stuff. I've said for months and months now that he's a wild card, but they've they've still kind of continued this whole package deal thing. So if the Durant thing is actually a, a slam dunk as Zach Lowe and others made it seem like the whole year and he's coming here, I – I Personally, I think if if you're Kyrie and nobody knows what he's thinking, but if we're even thinking somewhat logically, uh, if you can go get max money and return with an all-NBA teammate next season, not this upcoming one, maybe you do it. I think the Nets can uh, have the ability to get another max free agent too, or they can make a move to clear some space pretty quickly. But um, Yeah, I'm still a little murky on what they're saying. Yeah, I think they have a uh, high – they have they have definitely won. I think they're like high forties for cap space, high high forty millions. But um, they they, they can pull it off. But um, uh, I I don't know what you guys read on this is. I I would like to think that the Knicks are very much still in play here. But as you know, I'm hesitant. I, I still do think that it's a bit of a wild card, like you're saying. I I kind of I kind of think with, I mean, even both Kyrie and KD to a degree. Like I don't these guys like there's still something about me that feels like they're not totally made up. Like there's still, you know, this is kind of the, the 11th hour and there's a lot of things that could still change just like on a personal level with these dudes too. So I, it's just no, I like nothing to me is locked in until it's locked in. Like uh, this could all be completely for not like the, this speculation might be nothing in the long run. Like this is a time when everybody is just, you know, 
all the things are coming out of the woodworks about everybody at this point. So it's, I, I, you know, guys are getting traded now. There are promises being made about the draft. We're going to have the actual draft happen tomorrow. There's going to be even more trades tomorrow too. Um, so yeah, right now, like it's just all, I think pretty much my mind is just a blank slate. Like I'm coming in with everything that I had previously been thinking and all of the, you know, previous assurances. And I'm just kind of like blank now. We're going to see where we come out from here. I had retreated to a place where I basically had just accepted nothing good was going to happen for the Knicks this offseason. Like it was going to be, I was hoping for marginal improvement by signing a couple good players and then keeping flexibility going forward, but at least getting to watch some decent basketball. That report was the first time I was like, oh, am I going to let myself do this again? And I'm going to try not to. I mean, our hopes were really fucking high for a minute there. Like, we were on cloud nine in, like, mid-April. I We got to go back and listen to a couple of those episodes because we were probably just in way over our heads. No, I don't think we were. I think we were right, and shit happens, and there was nothing you can do about it. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Um, I just saw a tweet that... It is from uh, basically an anonymous source, Basketball Forever. Um, And it's saying there are rumors of a three-team deal involving Chris Paul, Gordon Hayward, and Andrew Wiggins. That just sounds like a clusterfuck. There's no way that's real. That sounds like a clusterfuck. It can't be be real. It can't be real. Anthony, what kind of sources are you bringing onto the podcast? I like what we called them. So, uh, it's not a source. This it's is not, not a source. source. Okay, good point. This is a, it's uh, a 12-year-old with a Twitter handle. This is the interior tweet of a quoted tweet that uh, they, they you yeah, know, that was the tweet, and then someone quoted it and goes, ah, the rare lose-lose-lose scenario. <laughs> uh, can you imagine? That is the most ridiculous trade that could possibly go down this entire offseason. The talent levels aren't really near, like, yeah, as near as they would need to be, but like, good lord, that would be funny to see all of them swap teams. Nobody wins. Uh, Isola basically just reported. So, as recently as Wednesday, there was belief among several teams that even if Irving joined BK, KD would still come to the Knicks. And something about that they were going to go on vacation together to work out their futures. But that was before his injuries. Interesting. Listen, man, uh, the, the, K, yeah, the KD stuff. All over. Are they going to do stuff? I'm imagining that they were just going to play like darts for, and whoever won darts would get to pick the team they would go to. I want, I want them to be like doing water sports with each other. I need another banana boat. I need like KD to be floating around on a giant cupcake or something. Remember that? that cupcake thing? Sorry. What was that? I, I was trying to I was trying to get a tweet out for the Knicks while RJ Barrett just sat down with uh, Stephen A. Smith, and uh, Stephen A. Smith, Steve Smith, and just had a quote saying, "It doesn't matter for me, but uh, the Knicks would preferably be for me." And I knew that was going to slap on Twitter. So uh, God, it's just crazy how he like. Can you imagine them not taking him now? Like he is hyped up about the shit Zion saying that he is made for New York. Like, can you imagine if they just? They just, you know, go Garland or they go Culver or somebody. And then, like, you know, he has to answer to uh, to uh, the New Orleans Pelicans uh, with all the, uh, you know, wanting to be a Nick thing. I just, it would just be great. It would not be great. 
Um, no, it wouldn't be great. Please draft. Brian, I, I wanted to uh, ask you a few questions based on your latest Twitter experiences over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I feel like you and I have both noticed that a lot of uh, Knicks fans are against signing good basketball players. Yes. I, it's get, I'm, I'm getting frustrated and annoyed by it. I can understand, like, I brought up signing Al Horford. And I can understand not giving wanting to give Al Horford a four-year, $120 million contract. But also, Al Horford knows how to play basketball, and he happens to do it very well. And I'm kind of okay paying for the front end of it with a little with a drop-off on the back end and hoping you're by the time he's dropping off, your younger players are ascending and it works out okay. I think in 12-13, the Knicks had Amari's contract on the books. Amari is going to be more useless during that season than Al Horford will be in his entire career. Al Horford will be better than Amari was that season when he's 80. And I, th- there's ways to build a team. Just they need to. I, I don't think you can just do another year of winning 20 win of winning 20 games. They have to find a way. Now, it doesn't have to be Al Horford. Well, next week, we'll go over players that we want to see the team sign in some fashion. And I'll, I'll have more details and other guys. But there's just sign. You have $70 million in cap space. You can use 40, 45 of it, even 50 of it, and keep flexibility. Like those nets, those Mavs picks don't just have to be used in trades for players. Say you end up being good, decent next year, and you need to get off some contracts, and a, a Anthony Davis wants to come here, but you don't have max money to sign him. You can use the picks to get clear out contracts. There's a way to create space to get to max space if need be. It's more important for me for the Knicks to show some strides this year and spending some of their $70 million in capital and not hoarding it all again and just putting everything into one contract is a route I am more than happy to go. I think a lot of fans only look at the like uh, the contracts these players are going to sign this summer as strictly three to four years with the Knicks. They have to live up uh, to expectations. If they're younger players like D'Angelo Russell or Julius Randle, they have to uh, continue to improve based on what they've shown so far in their young careers. I think a lot of times what fans forget is that when you sign a younger player to a a more lucrative deal, but not necessarily a max or even if it's D'Angelo Russell, like what his max is, is like 26, 27 million compared to what a Kevin Durant max would be at like 38 million. These are deals that you could still trade. Like D'Angelo Russell is a good young player at point guard, which is the most important position in the NBA right now. If you sign D'Angelo Russell to a three or four year deal for 24, $25 million, let's say like, you would be able to move D'Angelo Russell if you needed to. That is a tradable asset. If you sign Julius Randle to a two- or three-year deal for $20 million a pop, that is a tradable asset. It's not just you're signing him and he is not living up to $20 million. Like You have a lot of money to throw around this summer. You can sign someone for $15, $20 million, still have tons of money left over. Like th- we're not even including the, the Durant stuff because that's not even a lock yet. Like $72 million, that's a lot of money. Sign a couple of guys, make them like if you sign anyone, it, it could be like I know you brought up the Horford part, right? And and for me, I wouldn't do it unless you knew you were getting a Durant. So at least next year he could play with somebody good, right? But 
if they signed D'Angelo Russell or Randall or even both, like, cool. If you can get Brogdon away from uh, Milwaukee, cool. Like, these are good young players. Like, people would trade for them. When the next superstar becomes available or if you need to move those players for a superstar, like, teams would would take them. I've really got my eye on Brogdon. Brogdon, Brogdon, I'm, if he's, you can He's not leaving, away, but Jesus. Oh. Yeah, but just make Milwaukee at least pay up, if anything, you know? It's tough. I, I I'd be super into him. Like there there are a couple of guys who I think would be would be good gets, like you're saying, on two or three year deals. Kind of a lot of the names you're saying. Randall's another one too that I would I would throw into that equation where you just that third year, you know, whether and you know, even in the second year of that contract, like it becomes movable as long as you're not overpaying by too much. Like you might have to give a little bit one way, but at least, you know, maybe try to structure something. Maybe they can even get something where they can do a declining contract with someone. Uh, so they can you know really load up a little bit of the contract in the first year, and then you know make it uh, easier to trade in the second and third year. I don't know. It's just there are definitely ways, and I think that Steve Steve uh, Mills and I think Scott Perry especially like they've really demonstrated to this point with how they've run this iteration of the Knicks that like they know how to get creative with the trade. Like that Porzingis trade, whether or not it ages well. It's a pretty damn creative move. Like the way that they were able to clear off of Tim Hardaway Jr. and uh you know and Courtney Lee's salary just right at the same time. They acquire picks at the same time. Like it was it was smart. It was kind of counterintuitive in one way that you're getting rid of Porzingis and then more things come to light about that. But you know, really brilliant in how now you're fully loaded and positioned to make something happen now. And you know, they can still make something happen just by utilizing that cast space in a, in a safe way, you know, getting a guy that you know is going to be able to, you know, give you value to one degree or another, and then, you know, keeping your flexibility for when that move, which is inevitably going to be, you know, coming to the equation, you can pull the trigger on it. It's not like, it's not like the Lakers just thought of, like, last week to trade for Anthony Davis. I, I, like, they were in position to make that happen for a little bit now, and they were just finally able to do I it. I feel like a lot of fans kind of go back to um not go back to but i think a lot of fans are worried about like a tim hardaway jr situation but i think that's a little bit different too because like we had money tied up everywhere when when tim signed like that's why the tim hardaway jr signing didn't make sense you signed him for 18 million a year when joe kimnoa was still in the book uh, on the books courtney lee was making what 12 million was it 12 million but they they signed him as a way of uh you know making a next step like, like the Knicks are are obviously going to be trying to move their team forward with this move, but we're not necessarily trying to like contend for the playoffs next season. You know, they they are at that point in time they were looking to add to their roster that had Porzingis on it, that had all these other vets on it, and they thought it was going to be at least a playoff contender, and it, it, it you know ended up being far from it. Yeah, so I think that was the other thing, too. Like, when they signed Courtney Lee, Joakim Noah, all those guys in 2016, that's exactly it. They were trying to make a last push for Carmelo. You know, they knew what they had in KP at the time. They were hoping between his next step, Carmelo's last, you know, couple of good years, Noah being anywhere close to his old – like, it wasn't good, obviously, but that's how they got themselves in that situation. Like, this is a little bit different where if you're just – if you just have money to throw around, like you don't need to just roll it over. Like you, you can sign a couple of good young players, let them figure it out. Maybe you have a good rising competitive team. And then 
if you need to move one, if you can get a star, then yeah, I mean, people are going to want a star back sometimes. Like even, um, I mean, the Kawhi deal is kind of an extreme example, but that's the most recent one. Like sometimes teams, when they trade a superstar away, like they don't just want picks and young players. Sometimes they want somebody that they can sell to the fans, like a DeMar DeRozan. Like, yeah, like sometimes if if Washington's going to get rid of Bradley Beal, let's say, and you have, you know, D'Angelo Russell in the fold. Yeah, I mean, if you can give them a D'Angelo Russell and another young asset or maybe a pick or two, like, that gets a deal done. That's a strong, strong offer. You know, like, people kind of forget. It's like a little placeholder, too. So is it ideal if they sign, like, three of those guys this summer? Probably not. But if they sign one or two, there's no issue. There's a lot of cap space to throw around. So I would – at some point, you got to just start making progress. you got to start, you know – trying to build a brand of winning basketball because you can't just wait for superstars to show up when none ever show up here. Like at some part, you know, at some point if they don't come, like if Durant doesn't come this summer, okay, well tough shit. Like let's say he signs for five years back with the Warriors. He takes the extension. Okay. Tough shit. Like if Kawhi goes to the Clippers, then what Anthony Davis next summer is going to sign with the Lakers. So 2020 free agent class is already done too. So what we got to wait two years, just not sign anybody. Wait till 2021. Like you can sign a couple of good players and and try to make do. And maybe they take some big steps too. But we got to stop pretending like we can only sign the top two or three players in the league every summer. And then they never come here. And then what? We just keep not spending uh, $70 million? Don't just spend it just to spend it. But like there's good players available. You got to try to build winning teams in the meantime too. Yeah. You can't just, you can't just roll over $70. Like it's ludicrous. So before, right, real quick before we get to uh, that interview with uh, Samus Fandiari from uh, Warriors World from Light Years, uh, he'll be joining us in just a little bit. But um, Chris Paul is reportedly not uh, very happy in Houston. There seems to be uh, a rift of uh, some sort that's developed between not only him and James Harden, but the whole organization and things just kind of be going up to shit in the Houston Rockets who Brian Gibberman once said have the best chance of winning next year. Uh, you know, even if the, if Katie leaves the Warriors, I think that was a take you were going with for a little bit. I so don't Chris, not out of play. Chris Paul being uh, disgruntled means what to you? It's, it's Interesting, and the Knicks were linked. There was a, in a Kevin O'Connor article with the Ringer.com. It had been mentioned that the Knicks rejected a trade offer that involved Chris Paul, the Rockets dumping his contract. And I would say this is going to basically be the inverse of the Lakers AD trade in a way, in my opinion. Most of the time, that's going to be what the Knicks did is smart. But I also think there's a price for everything. And he has three years left on his deal. They're not gonna. He's not gonna be even close to worth what he is on that contract. But he's still. He was still a reasonably decent basketball player last year. It's not like he's run of the mill trash now. He he can still play when he is on the court. And if you could get the Rockets to basically make you, like how badly do the Rockets want to get rid of Chris Paul? And if there's a scenario where they basically go, we will give you anything and everything you want to take this contract from you. I think there is a way that it could be a smart trade and work out and set yourself up 
for a better future. You go, look, you need to turn Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker, and Clint Capella into stuff that we want and give us a ton of draft picks of your own. And if they were willing, if they wanted to get rid of Chris Paul that badly, that's something that could work out in the Knicks' favor. Now, my guess is they're not willing to do that. They have no draft picks, Brian. They, they, they you take you take them down the road, and you just take them for you have Brian. I I do not want the twenty twenty four fucking first. You're all, I, I you're, do not. But you're you're getting your number one. You're going to get draft picks from the three players that were traded and players. Like they have to turn those players into 40, stuff that you want for million dollars, Brian. It was in, in, for, it, de- a, it depends for it a depends. player that his that any team he goes to. They hate him. We have a team. We have a, so in this situation, in this situation, we'd have to take him, and he'd have to go with all the young players. I'm not even doing this whole bullshit great young core thing that they're all going to pan out. The last thing that you'd want for the guy that always pisses his teammates off is to come do that with kids who just got in the league. I want. Oh, no, no oh, I don't care. I don't. I, care. I'm get him that. as far the fuck away from this team as possible. I want it's, no part to him or his cartoonishly large contract. I want no parts of it. I don't even want to think about it. There's nothing. If it was in the next two years that they had first, maybe. They have nothing till 2023. But but, but you're ignoring the part of the three players that they have that have value around the league and turning them into stuff. That's a big component of this. You trust this team to turn them into stuff? You, You don't make the trade until... No, no, no. The Rockets have to turn them into stuff before the trade is consummated. I don't think that's what's happened here. But that that's the terms of the trade. That's like what the it was there was talk about that that the Pelicans might want the Lakers to turn Ball and Ingram into other young pieces and then before. So it's turning you go downward. These are the stipulations. You give them a list of players and picks and stuff like that that you want and you say you have to turn these players into these certain things and if you can get the things that you want and set up your team well, it has nothing to do with trading for Chris Paul in reality. It's about getting what comes attached to Chris Paul. Just like the Knicks didn't want Enos Cantor on the roster, but that was a contract that was needed to make a trade, and they got something attached to it that they wanted. And look, you, there's no way to know a second-round pick is going to turn into Mitchell Robinson. That's luck. But getting a Chicago Bulls second-round pick was a that was smart to do. Like we knew the Bulls weren't going to be some powerhouse team. Like that was a pick of value. And you took Cantor's contract because you were knew you were getting a pick of value that you wanted. You didn't make that trade for Enos Cantor. It's the same it's the same thing with Chris Paul, except Chris Paul is still somewhat reasonably decent at basketball when he is playing. I hate him. And I hate that contract more. You're, I want no parts of him coming to this team. You're like me with I, you're, you're like me with Wiggins. Like I wouldn't take Wiggins no matter what is attached. I just don't want to watch him. Well, at least Wiggins you could be like, oh, well, he's no, he's twenty three years no, old. Nope, I would. Oh, no, oh, oh okay. Oh, yeah, yes, but age thirty five, Chris Paul. When every one of his teammates yeah. historically is hated, that's the guy you make the move for. Get the fuck out of here. I want I no like, parts of Chris Paul. I like assholes. How many years does Chris Paul have left on that contract? Too many. There's three. There's three, three gargantuan three. years left. <laughs> age thirty five. Age thirty five. He makes thirty eight million dollars. Age thirty six. He makes forty one million dollars. Age thirty seven. He makes forty four million dollars. 
Get that contract the do fuck you, away from do me. You know how much you would get. You're punting you three get, seasons, Brian. You're punting three seasons. You're not signing anybody you, with that contract. Huh? You're yeah, you you are, but you're setting yourself. No, you're yeah. not. You can, no, 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 time out, time out. You're not, you're not punting the three seasons because of no because you can make trades to improve the roster because of all the stuff. What trade are you improving when he's eating half the cap? Just the same way you made a built a decent team around Amari, even though he was eating up half the cap. What depth would we have with Chris Paul making forty four million dollars, Brian? It's a hundred. It's a hundred and twenty million. It's the the cap's gonna rise. It's gonna be okay. So, so you're talking about thirty percent of your cap, not fifty percent of your cap. There's oh, okay, still ways, okay. And you can go over that cap. To, if in trades, if you're taking for that, the for asset, year old there's way there's ways you can build around that if you get the around right thirty seven year old Chris Paul. Yes, if you get the right the things have, around in return. The table right now, they can still be flexible with that contract. There's, most likely, you're not going to get enough to do this trade. Like that's what I'm saying. There like, could never be, be enough. Yes, there is. Just like there could have never been enough for the Lakers to trade for Anthony Davis. That's what I'm oh, saying. That makes, well, that at least that makes sense because you're getting six high level years on an extension with Anthony Davis instead of the back end no, of but it's the whole opposite, shitty cancerous career. No, but you're the Pelicans. That's not the piece. You're you're the Pelicans it's though. I can't. I, I can't even believe you just defended this. I I am. I'm, I'm still not going for it, but I'm saying that. There are ways to get flexible with that last year. If he was on a two-year contract, I would be definitely agreeing right now with everything that Brian's saying. I'm still leaning in the direction that you're saying because it's going to take a shit ton of, me, of first-round picks to make me think that way. And they're going to have to be some like unprotected ones down the line because I'm kind of counting on the James Harden. I'm counting on this Houston experiment to run out at a certain point. And I, there is certainly value to being there at the end of the line to collect the draft picks when everything falls apart. Chris Paul just had his worst season in seven years, and it's we not, have three more nothing, deals. It has nothing. We have to do three with more, Paul. three more years. It's not about Chris Paul. Oh, it has everything to do with it when no, that contract is that big. No, no, it doesn't. You're not. Right, you, Chris Paul. you will never. You will never. Can there's there's no part of this. Very well drawn. Now let's move on to our uh, interview with uh, Sam, which is about to happen right now. What's up, Blue Wire listeners? This is Jack from the Real Underscore Sports Podcast, a Snapchat sports pod. We recently ranked as the number one sports podcast on all of iTunes, all of Apple. We cover all things from the NBA draft, from NBA free agency. We're working on MLB this summer, as well as the NFL offseason. Catch me and my co-host Abe on the Real Underscore Sports Podcast, a Snapchat sports pod, a part of the wonderful Blue Wire Podcast Network. All right, and we are back with our guest for this week. Very special one. We have Sam Esfendiari here. He is on the Light Years podcast. Uh, he's from Warriors World. He is a co-network uh, mate of ours with Blue Wire. Uh, Sam, what's going on? How are you? I'm good. I'm trying to learn what a Ru Hachimura is right now, looking through all these draft prospects. I all of a sudden want to almost want to draft him with a third pick right now. It kind of seems like a really cool dude, and I would like to have him on my team. You know what's funny? It's um, We had uh, Jonathan Wasserman on our podcast this week, and uh, the way the Warriors season ended with everyone getting injured kind of 
made the draft even more important. Whereas it's kind of like an afterthought when you're in the situation the Warriors are typically in. And he just kept telling me that it's like no one can give him a consensus of where guys land outside of the top three. Like some people after three, some teams have guys at four that other teams have at like 18. Yeah, um, we're not GMs, but just internally in our little Knicks wall Slack chat, that's kind of been the theme is like there's a couple of, of guys who would take Brandon Clark in the top five. And then there's other ones who are just like, hey, I mean, if there's a late lotto pick or a late first, I would take them. Like, it's just I, I, probably the guy I hear the most being thrown around. Like, yeah. I hear him like everywhere up to like 18, 19 and everywhere as high as, you know, five, potentially four. There's a lot of guys though. It's it, it, it's a weird it's a weird draft, and everybody says it's a weak draft, but nobody there's just no consensus on almost anything after three. Yeah, whenever you hear it's a weak draft, that just means someone who's picked in the mid teens is going to end up being like the second or third best player in the draft, and in five years, everyone will be like, how how did no one see it when you know no one could have seen what like Kawhi or Giannis ended up becoming? Like if they saw that, they would have gone number one. It's that simple. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. That's what we try to tell our followers and fans all the time because you know how uh, when you're always in the Knicks lottery position, fans like to lock into whatever the consensus couple of guys are. Right. It's like it's like guys, like th- this could be the guy for sure, as always, but like there could absolutely be 10 other better guys. Like this happens every year where we lock in and then there's always better guys that pan out afterwards every single year. And then the next year we pretend it didn't even happen. Yeah, I mean the the Curry example, I think, is the one that's the uh, the most egregious, and there we come full circle on the Warriors. So uh, nice transition. The Warriors and the Knicks have, I, I feel like, a really interesting link between them right now, just with all the news about Durant and uh, you know where he potentially may end, end up, and just like the little bits of history throughout, like maybe you know probably since Steph got drafted, where they just kind of intersect has been interesting. Uh, but I mean, I, it's so it's odd to think about the Warriors as a Knicks fan right now, because I'm just I, I'm seeing everything from the Kevin Durant angle. And, you know, not it's hard to picture things from Golden State's angle right now. So as as probably the best source we can get for Warriors knowledge yet right now, like what, what's what's the mindset? What's everyone seem to be thinking out there? Is it are you guys kind of glad? Are you proud of where you ended up? And that's just kind of like how the off season is going to be, or is there a real sense of things changing and we got to do something? About the, it? so I actually did a three hour radio show on Sunday and the consensus I got from like all those callers combined with like people I talked to and Twitter and everything is like, warrior fans are in this weird space where they're incredibly proud of the team because like, I mean, KD tried to come back. He ruptures Achilles. Clay literally played till he tore his knee. I mean, they. It's weird to to think that like Houston Game Six, the one they won without KD, was only five weeks ago. But it just feels like so much stuff has happened over the last month ish that they're they're proud of their team. And then there's there's a combination of also just kind of being sad because like Clay. I mean, he might be back after the All Star break next year. That's optimistic. KD, whether he stays with the Warriors or goes, just isn't going to play basketball next year, right? So there's kind of like this this reality of, you know, like happy, just like proud of the team while like realizing there's going to be a pretty depressing, annoying year ahead at minimum. So I, I was like 95% 
the entire season that KD was going to go to the Knicks. I mean, it started, we've talked about this before, like Zach Lowe posted in his preseason, like 30 predictions, like Kevin Durant's going to go to the Knicks. And then throughout the season, the noise just got louder and louder and louder. It kind of feels like it's swung back the other way. This is the first, ever since that injury happened, it's the first time like, oh, he actually might not come. Are you guys getting a little bit more positive about him coming back too? Or is that just the Knicks fan thing? No, I mean, that's kind of, um, so the, the Warrior fan base was kind of uh, mixed on if they thought he would really leave. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. And But I would say most people who were pretty plugged in felt, you know, he's gone. Like there's an outside shot he could stay. And now, I mean, people I talk to and just kind of the consensus I get is like 50-50. This injury changes everything. It's hard to imagine him. You know, if the Warriors do extend him the full five-year, 221, whatever, at this point, it's hard to see him walking away from that. But then on the other hand, you know, it's not like his money options appear to be changing with this, so maybe he would leave. Um, But it is kind of the feeling I'm getting. Like, now there's maybe cautious optimism he'll stay, but everyone's kind of, like, got kind of a coin flip feeling about it right now. And Clay's the one that's it's a hundred percent at this point. It right? will be very surprising. Um, the fan base will would be absolutely shocked if Clay left. Um, and both sides want him to stay. Both sides, I mean, the Warriors are going to offer him the max, and he's pretty much I, the only noise about Clay had been basically like him letting it be known: if you don't offer the max, I might leave. So yeah, I think he's a lock to stay. I it, it's. If they did do the hard rebuild thing and they let go of, yeah, I guess it's not really a hard. Re- like, how much space would they potentially even have with that if they let Clay Thompson? You mean, like, you mean just, in the event that it's both Clay and KD of, go? Um, yeah, honestly, yeah. not that much because, well, they would have to if they really wanted to generate space. They'd also have to get rid of Iguodala. See, Iguodala makes like sixteen million. Draymond's right. at seventeen or eighteen next year. That's 34. Steph's at 40. Um, so actually, technically, they could keep them um, and generate some space if both walk, but they they don't have enough for a max spot. They'd have to get rid of Iguodala in addition, and then they right. could generate another max. But uh, I, I don't even think they want to do that. Uh, the, the the main thing they keep saying, like Kerr, Kerr and Myers cannot stop with the Spurs analogies. They really want like Steph, Clay. Uh, maybe Draymond, whoever to be like, you know, their Duncan, Manu, et cetera type thing. And they're they're pretty comfortable with just kind of like even if they have a down year or two relative to what we've seen, like trust that the culture they've built and they'll be able to find guys who will inevitably develop around them. Do you feel like people are underestimating how good they could be next year, even though the KD and Clay are going to be out? I mean, they still have Steph and Dre. What do you think needs to happen with like the in the margins with this roster for them to still be good? Um, get some shooting so teams don't play a box and one on yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's a pretty obvious. <laughs> it, it's like um, it it been like a Warriors uh, Twitter joke about how um, you know everyone just kind of plays hot potato until Steph gets the ball, uh, but that's like really what their season that's how their season ended that's what it was like Iguodala doesn't really want to shoot the ball Draymond doesn't want to shoot the ball um 
Looney doesn't want to shoot the ball and down the line. Like they're all good players, but at at a certain point, you can't just have one guy on the floor who wants to shoot the ball. They ended up looking like the uh, like the Iverson Sixers at the end there, or it was just like Steph running in circles trying to find any space to get a shot off. So, <laughs> so it's exactly like my, my question is what kind of offense they can get around it. Um, and then the second question is the health. You're right. I mean, if Steph and Dre are healthy and they get decent vets, like better than what they had on the bench this year, but obviously they're not going to have a ton of money to, you know, go out there and get any of like the bigger name or even second tier free agents. If they get some decent vets around them, I don't see why they can't win 50 games if they stay healthy. The The question is, will they stay healthy and can stay stuff, stay healthy shouldering this load at, you know, age 31 is going to be 32. So, Back to KD for a second. What's your thoughts on, let's say he does come back, because as much as I like to think that he's going to leave um, after the injury, I just can't let myself believe it. So let's say he does just opt back in, and he, and he even if he doesn't extend, he's going to be back next year. Do you think, like, where do you see him coming back as with his skill set and this injury, which is usually pretty horrific and grim? Like, he, like where so do you see him coming back to after probably that? Probably the most talented basketball player, him or LeBron that I've ever seen, just like raw talent. Um, he's like uniquely situated as a player to come back from his Achilles and still be essentially superstar level impact guy. Um, what's interesting is I, I kind of think this makes him a full-time four. I don't know how he can play small forward. And then that's a, you know, from if, if it's on the Warriors, you got questions with Draymond. But putting that to a side, I mean, he's still going to have one of the best shooting touches of all time. He's still going to be seven feet tall so no one can block his shot. Um, and he's still going to be a really good passer. Like, I feel like um, you're going to probably see less of the kind of off the dribble stuff that, you know, you think of when you think of KD because, like, you just don't see seven footers do that kind of stuff. Um, but his game may be more, sure. like, uh, more like Dirk. Or something like that. Like I'm, I'm thinking the Dirk of the title run. You know, not not like in his peak, but like the guy in his mid 30s who is still really effective, but not like 30 points per game. Um, and then the, the second question is kind of how many minutes he can play. I think that's a bigger issue because he's he's going to be able to get that like 18 footer or three pointer or, or whatever shot he wants. Basically, I mean, he can get it on one leg. So. That's not an issue. The question is, um, is he going to be able to play 33, 35 minutes a game? And that's where it's a little you know, a little more interesting and kind of uh, a little more grim because he should probably play like 27 minutes a game um, just to like try to extend his career. But like guys of his talent level don't usually like buy into the, you know, like super load management to the point where like your numbers take a hit because you're not even playing 30 minutes a game. Speaking of the minutes, like we know the playing him and bring him back and the controversy around that. But has Kerr caught any crap? Like, what was the deal with him playing twelve of fourteen minutes to start that game before he got hurt? Like that seemed like a very weird thing to do at the time, even before he got hurt. Yeah, not really. Um, I don't know that. Like, there's so many questions and people you can blame like to me the biggest issue was the way the warriors communicated the injury like 
from the minute he strained his calf, we were led to believe it was a mild strain. So, so everyone was kind of thinking, Oh, he'll be back by like game three of the Portland series. And, you know, obviously it was a lot more serious than that. And so it, it went on well over a month. And once, once, you know, like if it was a mild sprint strain, he'd have been out for max two weeks. Right. Um, so, so I don't even know. Um, in terms of like playing 12 or 14 minutes, I don't know if that really made a difference because he he ruptured his Achilles the first time he tried an off the dribble move. Uh, to to the um up until that point, he had just been doing catch and shoot in that game. I mean, he had like 11 points. Um he was just drilling shots, but it wasn't that was like the first dynamic move he even tried. And I don't know that the minutes mattered or not like a End of the day, he shouldn't have been on the floor. I mean, everyone can play that card. He ruptures Achilles. It's clear he shouldn't have been on the floor. But um, um, yeah, I guess I, I don't know. I, I thought I got excited when he came back. I, I thought I, I was surprised he played twelve or fourteen minutes. I don't know how much of a factor that plays in, but I was a little bit surprised to see them let him go that heavy in the beginning. I mean, he was obviously yeah. feeling it. He was. I think he had 11 points pretty quickly. He wasn't he wasn't missing, so like I I also understand why in a must-win situation you would let it go. So it's kind of hard to be too critical given the context. But I was just a little bit surprised yeah, that they were kind of it, it balls to the walls. Paper, but and obviously he ruptures Achilles, so um, there's questions about all the mistakes they made, and that's definitely one of them. Uh, but he is also kind of a player who he. He he he's good at resting in a game. Like he doesn't move a lot off ball on either end. And quite frankly, because he can defend just by using like his like twelve foot wingspan to harass guys. Like he doesn't need to move his feet half the time to do stuff. So um, there, he's always been kind of on the right. higher minutes level because he, he it's the same thing LeBron does, where it's like he can play in the high thirty minutes because him playing those minutes isn't he isn't exerting the same amount of energy let's say uh, Steph Curry is who has to like run in circles to, you know, find space for hours and hours. Right. Yeah, that's true. So I guess just to, just to kind of wrap things up then like where, I just want to know from your point of view, where you go from here, the war, like everyone else in the NBA, every other fan base for whatever reason or another seems, seems to be content with the idea that this is the end of a dynasty that, um, you know, that, that, you know, this is like the closing of a book or whatever, but obviously Warriors fans don't want the dynasty to end. So like, do you think that that is the case? Like this is kind of the end of the road for this iteration of the team. If KD stays, I think, well, any way you look at it, they're mostly punting on next year in terms of contention. Like even if they make the playoffs, um, I don't know. Like even if Clay comes back in March, he's not going to be, full on Clay Thompson until the following year. Right. So um, in lieu of like next year being sort of kind of, I, I kind of would use it as a development, like see what you have with certain pieces type of year. In addition to Steph and Dre, um, if KD comes back, you probably should shop Draymond because I think KD is going to have to play power forward and kind of see what you can get for Draymond and start building around that threesome, Steph, Clay, and KD for the future. But I think your question was more about assuming KD leaves 
I do think that they have another like four years in them, but it's going to, it's going to come down to what they do on the margins. Like uh, a Steph clay Draymond core definitely gets you a seat at the table in terms of being a contender, but it's going to be very, it's going to be defined by what they do in the margins. Can they find an impact guy like Iguodala has been, can they find, um, you know, Looney's one guy they have that that's, pretty much their only developmental success in the last three years. Um, can they find more guys like that? Can they, can they do more of that stuff they did pre KD? Um, and that'll be interesting because I think if they don't, and they get into that cycle where they're like a 52 win team that gets to the second round, but doesn't get beyond that. And that goes on for like a couple years with Steph clay and Draymond. Um, I think management will then just look to blow it up in some way. You guys can catch Sam on the Light Years podcast on Blue Wire Pods, where you'll also find the Next Wall podcast. Uh, listen to him on Warriors World Radio, everything going on with Warriors World, long running brand. You know, always have been a big fan of the things, the things you guys do over there. Um, yeah, follow him at Samus Fendiari. Thanks a lot for jumping on with us. Uh, just a big reminder to all of you to go follow the Knicks Wall on Twitter at the Knicks Wall. Follow at TKW Podcast. All of us, Corbo Anthony at Kyle Maggio at Brian Giverman. Uh, head to the nextwall.com. Check out the fabulous work by our, um, you know, our writing staff there and all of our other incredible members of the squad. Um, subscribe on YouTube, subscribe to Apple Podcasts, please. Uh, give us the, the like and the, uh, you know, the, the review and all that good stuff, the five stars, whatever. You know what you're doing. Um, yeah, thanks to, uh, you know, draft season's just about wrapped up now. So thanks to Mike Cortez for handling that. We might get one more in there. We're going to see what happens. We're going to talk to Mike this week. But um, until then, let's have a good draft tomorrow. And we will talk to you all uh, very soon. Thank <laughs> you.